Ned Martin, world-famous psychic detective, medical intuitive, ghost detective, and author, brings you Annette Martin's Psychic World. You may have seen her on television, heard her on hundreds of radio shows, or even read her books. Here she is, live on Annette Martin's Psychic World. Welcome. I'm Annette Martin, and Annette Martin's Psychic World is produced and broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. Well, you know, being a medical intuitive at age seven, seeing and talking to ghosts as a child, having a singing career at 10 years old, and developing into a professional psychic detective has been quite an adventure for sure. And sharing these gifts with you today gives me great pleasure. And for the next hour, my guests and I will create a place to enlighten, entertain, and empower you. We can talk about everything except police cases. I only work with the police directly pertaining to missing persons. So if you do have a police case, please contact me by email at Annette at Closure. For you.com. That's Annette at Closure, C L O S U R E, the number four, the letter U.com. Well, our phone lines are open at 646 652 2071, where you can call and ask our guest a question or ask for my psychic impressions about your life. And remember to give us your first name and only one question per caller. We can talk about your love life, any type of relationships that you're in, life direction, your health, ghosts, and even paranormal experiences. Life can be very mysterious and challenging at times. So perhaps with the help of our guest and myself, we can shed a little white light on your life. Our guest today is Dr. Karen Good, a psychologist. Her articles have appeared in over 200 newspapers and magazines. And she is the author of 13 books. And the most recent book is called Kids Who See Ghosts. She has the award-winning Raising Intuitive Children, Help Kids Cope with Stress and Trauma, and the book The Art and the Science of Coaching Parents. Dr. Good is a parenting coaching expert as well as the owner of the Academy for Coaching Parents International. Her expertise appears in her monthly coaching column that is in 45 different media outlets in national magazines such as Better Homes and Garden, Working Women, Mothering and Inspired Parenting. Well, let's give us a very warm welcome to Dr. Karen Good. Good morning. Hello, Annette. How are you today? I am just wonderful, and I'm just so delighted to have you on the show, uh, Karen, uh, because today the subject is going to be about children who see ghosts. And you know, that is something very close to my heart, because I was one of those children. And did you have support from your family when you were growing up? 
I did. I did because I was one of the uh, fortunate ones because everyone in my family just about could see things paranormal. Um, they mostly on my mother's side of the family they were able to see ghosts and they just sort of turned it off now i didn't know about that of course as i was growing up as a child but they finally told me when they were in their 30s and 40s that oh yeah uh when i was a kid i used to see ghosts all the time and finally i just got so tired of them i just told them go away just go away <laughs> And I went, what? And you never told me this? <laughs> so it's just kind of fun. <laughs> it's great that you had the support and have such a wonderful sense of humor about it. I found also that the people I interviewed, uh, and the reason that I interviewed individuals like yourself who have their ability and it started in childhood and was normal to them and they grew up to be in service to mankind in some way, uh, they all felt that it came uh, handed down to them from their family, and whether or not they had support was questionable. But I find that to be true for me also. I believe that my grandmother had a lot of intuitive experiences that she never spoke about. Right, exactly. And I definitely, definitely feel that it is a genetic process. I agree. Everyone that I interviewed, which is not a lot of people, but 20 is a good number. <laughs> and they all felt, you know, everybody felt it runs in the family. And it doesn't matter whether your family culture supports it or not. It's still there. Yes. And that was part of the motivating factor for me to write this book because there's got to be a lot of children out there seeing things that get put on medication or taken to doctors because it's it's a gift or a talent or an intuition that's not understood. And, exactly. Hey, you know, even if it's a one-time event, right? Maybe a child just, just has one ghostly experience in their life, but we still don't want them to go around being afraid of it, you know, all the way into their adulthood. Oh, absolutely. You do not want them to be afraid because, you know, I talk to so many people about this that, we become frightened and think that ghosts are always bad and, and that they're always malicious. And that is not true. I have not found that to be true at all. Well, Karen, I do want to ask you a question, though. Can you describe a typical child seeing ghost scenario? The most typical scenario that I get from people who come to the blog or who ask me questions or who were some of the people I interviewed for this book was fairly common. It's a two, three, four, or five-year-old uh, who still has a larger brain capacity than a lot of adults because their, their brain hasn't gone through that pruning process at six or seven. So the children wake up in the middle of the night. They're frightened. There's something in their room. Visibly, they claim to see something, and if not, they still feel the energy of chilling, fear, or something that grips their gut. So the most common questions I get are for those, how do I handle the middle of the night really scary experiences where kids are kind of frozen, you know? Mm -hmm. their, their little brain and, and nervous system just freeze up. That's the most typical. Mm -hmm. I, I was... Yeah. 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, some of the others that I've been getting lately tend to be uh, a child who is in contact with a relative who has passed over. They may know them. They may not know them. But that's also becoming more typical in my world. I'm sure you may have seen a lot of it. But those two scenarios, one scary, one not so scary but intriguing, uh, mm-hmm. seem to be what mainstream parents are reporting to me right now. Good. Um, yeah, I, I think that that is probably, you know, I see that a lot in my practice where uh, a parent will come in and they'll say, um, I really want you to talk to me about my child. That I think they're seeing a ghost and they're not quite sure and they're kind of frightened and what do I do about it? And <laughs> so then I always tell them that the best thing for me to do is to be able to see the child themselves and then I can talk to them and I can explain to them as a person who sees ghosts a great deal of the time uh, what it's like and not to be frightened and that it's going to be okay and I think that's the hardest part is trying to um, explain to the child that it is okay to see a ghost and that and to learn also, uh, what you were saying uh, about the loved one who has passed away, I have, throughout the years, Karen, I have made a big distinction because they're very, very different between a ghost and a spirit. The ghost is the consciousness that has stayed here on the earth and has not moved on into the light, into that other consciousness. And so when our loved ones have passed away, and they come back to visit us or to see us or to tell us something, um, I refer to them as spirit because they only come for a very short period of time and then they leave again. And so to learn how to distinguish between the two is, is a very important thing. And I'm sure that you have run into that. Yes, I have run into it quite a bit. And the level or the type of energy that the child feels and sees, as you're distinguishing, also makes a big difference in my world and observations of how that child responds. Uh, many children who see a relative find them friendly and find them hopeful and receive, you know, kindness from them, a connection of love. So right. To me, that consciousness of love continues, even if it's in the genetic line and the child you know, isn't aware that it's a great-grandparent or some, you know, they don't know them, but they just feel that connection. Right. I have observed that difference. Right. Very good. And, you know, Karen, we have a caller on the line here. Uh, We have someone, I believe, is uh, James. Yes. Yes. Good morning or good afternoon. (laughs) James, hello. How are you? Where are you calling? Yes, where are you calling Um, from? New Jersey. New Jersey, all right. Yeah. And do you have a question for us? Um, a love question. Okay. I, um, I was just wondering when you see me, even a spirit could tell you being with the right person, being with the right female. Oh, being with the right female, yes. Okay, so you want me to look into my crystal ball, James, right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's what I always yes that's what I always say to nobody everyone has crystal, nobody has a crystal ball 
Well, that's an imaginary one. <laughs> okay. So, so let me kind of look and see what's going on here. Um, one of the things that I'm seeing that you have a tendency to do in relationships is that you get anxious and you seem to want to, um, make the relationship happen faster than it should. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. And so what yes, you need definitely. To, Yeah, and so James what you need to do is you need to calm down, like take a couple of deep breaths when you start dating someone <laughs> and don't try to make it happen. You know, to fall in love with someone and and to have a wonderful relationship with someone, uh, it needs to sort of happen naturally. And I always feel that the first thing that has to happen is you have to become friends. You have to really become good friends and then allow that to grow. Because you know, James, if you're not good friends and you try to jump into a love relationship or jump into an engagement or marriage and you really don't know that person, oh my goodness, it's probably going to fail because you need to know who that person is. And so we get to know each other by becoming very good friends, first of all. I think that... I understand that. You understand that? Good. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think it's going to take you maybe, um, I see one relationship coming towards you towards the end of this year, and that will go away, and then I see another one in 2011. And that looks like around the springtime. Okay. And it's going to be a person that you will not think would be a person you would want to be with. But as you get to know her, you find out that you have a lot of things in common. And that is very important. You need to be with someone where you have the same likes and the same dislikes so that you can cohabitate together, right? Yeah. (laughs) That's how it works, all right? So James is going to be okay. So just take those deep breaths and don't try to make it happen. (laughs) All right. Okay. Thank you for calling in. Bye-bye, James. Thank you. Have a nice day. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Well, Karen, let's get back to talking about uh, kids who see ghosts. Oh, we're going to take a short break. (laughs) Okay. All right. So what we're going to do is it's time to take a short break. So if you are on the line, do hold on, and we'll get right back to you. Welcome back to Annette Martin's Psychic World. We've been talking to our guest, Dr. Karen Good, a psychologist and author of 13 books. Well, our lines are open at 646-652-2071, or you can write a note in our chat room and ask us a question. Well, Karen, we have been talking about kids and seeing ghosts. And why is it easier for children to see ghosts versus an adult? You know, and that the reason it's easier is uh, twofold. The children who actually have an intuitive temperament tend to have a more sensitive nervous system. And so their radar... uh, 
their feeling radar, their sensing radar, is a little is, is more acute than someone else who might have an academic or a behavioral achieving type temperament. And the second reason is because in brainwave studies, we actually have found out that children, their brainwaves often fluctuate into the dreamy state or the beta state. They're aware, but they're not always focused. So their world is fuller than ours. Their world is full of feeling and energy and images and, if you will call it, uh, we call it the imaginal realm. So their larger brain allows a lot of fluctuation in their brain waves. Just like if you were sitting in a room and going into a trance, or I were writing a book and staring out my window, I'd get daydreaming, you know? I'd let my creativity flow. That's what it's like all the time for younger children. Until they their cognition develops at six or five, they live in that dreamy world, and everything to them is is real and relevant and, you know, has a feeling and an identity and an energy. So it's a, it's a world that's very rich that very few adults remember. Well, I think that's very true. And, you know, I have to admit to you that I did a lot of daydreaming as a child. And so I guess I never grew out of it because it's so easy for me to do it today. But what I do with it is I turn it on and I turn it off. And many people ask me, well, how do you do the readings? I mean, do you do it all the time? Are you always seeing ghosts? What is happening to you, Annette? And so I have to explain to people that, no, I learned to turn it on and turn it off. So I move into that altered state. I move into the right side of the brain and uh, allow if there's going to be a ghost there when I walk into a house. Uh, and it is, it's like a dream. And, and so I see that it, it's something, you know, something that uh, children do very easily. They do it easily, and it's not, it's not something abnormal to their world. It's quite normal. So if you, as a child, you know, were constantly talking to your mom about this or that or your dad about this image or that image or your friend, you know, if they shushed you or ignored you, eventually you might have turned it off, but you're prob- uh, probably noticing what I am in today's trends. Kids who see ghosts, Children with a turned-on intuition are increasing, and kids are not turning it off. At age seven, uh, like some educators have observed, you know, now at 14, 18, 32, <laughs> that <laughs> doorway is still open, and I think it's where we're headed. Oh, absolutely, Karen. I could not agree with you more. I think it's wonderful because it's not only seeing ghosts, but it's also using that part of the brain and allowing it to be there because that's where creativity comes from. That's where the great minds uh, who have inspiration and who see things, who can uh, predict things about or or see uh, what they can create comes to them and I think that that is uh, absolutely fabulous and I think that is exactly what happens well right on because you know being psychic and and seeing ghosts and dealing with that world of energy is just one part of the whole 
intuitive, intelligent spectrum, as you say. Children's creativity, children's empathy, uh, their whole ability to respond to life in a feeling mode as opposed to just visual or just sensory or just auditory makes the world a rich place to live in. And when you're in harmony, that creativity never goes away. That's right. Uh, the shaman told me once, I loved his term, he said, you live in a fake world, in my in my translation. Uh, <laughs> the other world, the dream world, is the mm-hmm. real world. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, our children don't turn it off, and your ability to learn to do that, I think, is something that we need to mentor and teach all children. Focusing, oh, focusing. yes. Oh, absolutely. And focusing, focusing is the word. That is truly the word, Karen, because that's what you have to do. And that's what I always tell my students is you have to learn to focus. And you're focusing with the right side of the brain. You're focusing in that daydreaming aspect of your life versus letting the conscious mind, which is the left side of the brain, just chatter on and go on and on and on all the time. And it's so, a, yeah, what, that's yeah. not very supportive, is it? <laughs> no, <laughs> it isn't. It isn't. And, you know, that's what happens to most of us is that we get living and, and the uh, conscious mind is just chattering all the time and saying, blah, 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 do this, do that, blah, blah, you know. And uh, you have to learn to quiet that chatter to be able to get into the right side of the brain and into that daydream and relax and just let things come to you. Yes, I, I once had a woman who who came to me and said, I want my mother out of my head. Uh-huh. And she truly thought that there was some magical way to unhook the wiring of her upbringing <laughs> and, you know, stop and silence this what I call the monkey mind, you know, the continual chittering and chattering. Um, But it's her focus. But just like you turn on and off, you know, any talent or skill, you're right. It's got to be quiet in order to experience the inner peace to hear a more subtle voice or to see more subtle energy. Right, right, exactly. And and then it comes to you, you know. Well... I would think that you're dealing with some parents who would become quite frightened if they didn't understand this aspect, especially when the child says, oh, I'm scared, there's a ghost in my room. That is why parents have contacted me, and I suppose found found the blog at Kids Who See Ghosts because it's something either they don't understand or it's something that they want their child not to be frightened. So in the book, you know, it's going to take parents to have a really fun sense of humor or an imagination of their own to calm the child down and determine a solution together. And one of the Mm -hmm. first questions that I ask, whether they believe in the ghost or not, is like you. You know, I ask the child, "Do do you want a relationship with this person? You know, do you like this person? Do you want them in your room? Do you want them to go away? Are they here? And so, you know, one little three-year-old who was frightened by her, quote, spirit in the room and yet didn't want it to leave because she kind of liked it, it, she was curious, her mom came up with a solution of, of 
pulling out a shoebox, and the ghost slept in the shoebox, the little girl <laughs> says. And, you know, they stuck it in the closet. But that, that spirit hung around a while, and the little girl adjusted to the fact that it was there because she didn't want to tell it to go away. I thought that mother had an ingenious solution. The dad didn't believe in ghosts, and that was fine, too, but he believed in his child and wanted her to have her world experiences, whatever they were. You know, he wasn't going to shut them off, so mom handled that situation. Oh, I think that's brilliant. I think that is brilliant. I thought and, it was, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that is Great wonderful. Idea. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful idea. And, and, you know, it could be the same with an imaginary friend. They could do that exactly. with. Exactly, exactly. To me, an imaginary friend that a child has really bonded with, you know, they might be scared with it, but I hate to chase those those friends away because if they're really bonded to something that supports their confidence, uh, their social skills, their language development, you know, you don't want to close that door. You want to support children who have that concept of a friend because in one situation, a mom asked me to come and do a blessing on their land because they were getting ready to move and they wanted their house to sell. And in the in the purpose of doing that, we met a the guide or the caretaker of that land who appeared to my friend as a Native American uh, person. Yes. And just about the moment that he said, you know, thank you for living here. You've taken care of the land. You know, I respect you too. Um, he said goodbye to my friend, and the little girl came running out of the house. She was three years old, and she was wailing, Mommy, 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 my rabbit said he's going away. No, my oh. rabbit said we're going away. The little girl didn't know they were moving yet. But not only did she get the message, it was her bunny friend who told her, and her bunny friend had been there for about a year and a half. So she got it, and she understood. And, uh, you know... You, you can't ever judge what that child's connection is or what it means to them in their life. Oh, I think it means, yes, I think it means a great deal to them in their life. Uh, I, I know it did for me and uh, other children that I have spoken to it. It means a great deal. It, and also, you know, it's not only that they're getting information, but it also creates a great comfort I don't know if you have noticed, Karen, uh, are a lot of the children who see the ghost, are they only, that just uh, an only child? Can you hear me, Karen? Oh, I can't, yes, I was just thinking, I was, I was kind of doing a mental flipping through my clients and some of the questions that I get. Uh, no. I haven't seen them be only children. I have seen a couple siblings in the group, but the child is the only one in the family who sees something or who feels something. Mm-hmm. But I have seen, interestingly, when children, particularly young girls who are only children, when they seem to be 12 or 13 or 14, I get a lot of questions from them, and some of them are pretty lonely. They, they need somebody to speak with. That they watch the ghost whisper and they see shadows or they do speak with spirits and they have most of their life and their parents don't even know. The kids have kept it to themselves. Right. So interesting phenomena. I'm seeing more uh, only children in the tween years than I am in the younger years. 
Right, right. That That's what I kind of thought because I was an only child as well. Well, we're going to come back and talk more about kids and ghosts, but we're going to take a short break. So if you're on the line, hold on and we'll get right back to you. Welcome back to Annette Martin's Psychic World. Well, today we've been talking to our guest, Dr. Karen Good, who is a psychologist and the author of 13 books. And we've been talking about kids and seeing ghosts. But right now, before we go back to uh, Dr. Good, we're going to talk to Tina. Tina is on the line. Hi, Tina. Hi. Hi. Where are you calling from? Hi. Indiana. Indiana. All right. Very good. And do you have a question for us? Yes, I do. Uh, my question is, when do you see my husband coming home? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> what is his first name, Tina? His name is Eric. His name is Eric. And he's been gone for quite a while? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well... You know what, Tina? Um, I don't see him coming. Uh, I see him going into the darkness. It, it doesn't... What does that mean? That kind of means that I feel that he's rather confused and um, not together. Uh, was he quite depressed? Yeah. Yeah, honey, that, that's what the darkness is. The darkness is the depression, and I... He's been I, wrongfully accused. He's been wrongfully accused, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so he's in jail at the moment? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just don't see him coming back to you. I think he's going to be there a long time. Okay. And I think that there's just nothing that you can do about it. Uh, I feel that they have enough on him that um, that they're going to keep him there in jail. But do you go in? They have no evidence. Uh huh. Well, they have something. They may not be telling you, yeah, but they, they have. They have. They have a battery. Okay. That's all they have. Uh huh. Okay. Well, how long has he been there? Almost three months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he he feels like he's not in good shape at all. Do you go to see him? Yes. Good. Okay. The important thing that you have to tell him is you have to tell him that you're okay and that he's got to keep thinking positively. Okay? But I, I just... Good. Good. Okay. But I think he's going to be... I when think you, they may... 
when do I see him coming home? I think they ending? Well, uh, it looks to me like it may be a year or two. That's what I'm getting. Okay. All right, Tina. So what I want you to do, I want you to be really, really strong, and I want you to hang in there. Okay. Hang in there. Yeah, that's good. That's good. You got to be kind and good to yourself because if you fall apart, then you're not any good for Eric. Okay? You can't help Eric. And so you need to be strong and you need to take care of yourself. I'm sure that it is. Yes, I know. I know. But you need to. Eat, and you need to drink a lot of water. You need to eat a lot of protein. I don't see you eating very well. Is that true? Yeah. Yeah. You've got to start eating protein and drinking water. I feel that you're a bit dehydrated at the moment. And when we become dehydrated, what happens is that we become uh, uh, not together, okay? Our brain is not working correctly. Our body isn't working correctly. Uh, We make bad decisions. And that's kind of the spot that I see you in right now. So you need to start drinking water. My husband's on the other line, so I'm going to let you go. Okay, honey. All right. Bye-bye. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Well, Karen, let's get back to talking uh, about the children and and seeing ghosts. I I wanted to ask you, uh, do you work with any organizations as well? No, not right now. Not not at the moment. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, In your book... Uh, kids who see ghosts. Uh, you've interviewed a lot of experts from different backgrounds, including Sonia, I believe is uh, Choked. Is that how she pronounces it? It is. Yeah. Yeah, and Lynn Andrews, who of course I just love her books. Uh, she's written a lot of books on shamanism. And can you kind of tell us a little bit about what they have said? Well, I interviewed Lynn Andrews, you know, to get a picture of how she feels this event of children seeing ghosts is increasing and what she feels it portends since a lot of the 2012 information is coming out right now. And she also believes that it's a time when the children, all the children, not just special children with intuitive intelligence, but with the veil spinning, uh, all human beings have those opportunities to see into the other realms, touch the other realms. So she's kind of like Brad Steiger in asking the question, what does this mean for all of us? So they feel it's an evolutionary step, which I think is, in a, in a way, comes through the children first. It's kind of like if water is uh, poisoned and we're beginning to see changes in fish, for example. You know, humans (laughs) aren't that far up the food chain. So they believe uh, Lynn Andrews and Brad Steiger speak of a new consciousness and, as the veil thins, an awakening for people. Uh, Sonia Choquette's opinion was similar, but she also had a very good observation. We discussed these 13, 14-year-olds who uh, have a great sensitivity developing and they don't know how to deal with it. Her her concept of children 
and tweens seeing ghosts was not that the ghost came to them, but perhaps because the children have no emotional boundaries, are empathic in nature, that, you know, they stumble into these worlds, and they see shadows, and they see uh, things that go on in that world, like images or uh, spirits, ghosts from other times, imprint patterns of intense energies, for example, and they don't know how to interpret them or deal with them. So her point was helping children find energy boundaries and, again, focusing, as you have mentioned often, helping them focus to turn it on or turn it off or change a channel if that's what they need to do, rather than staring at it blindly and becoming frustrated and depressed because it's something that they feel is wrong with them, not something that they feel is right. Interesting that they feel that something is wrong with them. That 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 is very interesting. Yeah, and I agree with Lynn Andrews. I definitely feel that our whole physiological being is changing in some form. This is what I am seeing. I'm seeing it in my own grandchildren. I'm seeing it in other people's uh, new babies that are being born. How much more intuitive they are. How much more aware they are. And I look at them intuitively and I see the right brain just being very active. And so something is happening, and I can't put my finger on and say exactly what it is that is happening, but I do know that these children are becoming far more aware, far more intuitive, far more creative, and it's absolutely astounding and absolutely wonderful because I feel strongly, Karen, that that is where we are supposed to be that we are supposed to be these very creative beings and we are supposed to be able to tune into these very subtle energies that are out there. I would agree. It, it, I feel that I don't believe the universe kind of trips along accidentally discovering things. I think all of us are here with purposeful passion or purpose to uh, awaken to that aspect of ourselves that's been a long time asleep, and the children have always been the forerunners in previous generations. If you look at the 1980s, at the time I was in school teaching and having my children, uh, children's IQs kind of soared off the chart of the generations of the 60s and 70s. So we had suddenly gifted classes, you know, classes for children whose intellectual quotients were high. And now we have children whose IQ is intuitive intelligence mm -hmm. and they are filling the classrooms of whole brain learners or they're not going to school at all because their children their parents have found alternative approaches for them that help them develop their strengths as opposed to labeling them or giving medication yes yeah um i we're going to go over to a caller here uh anna are you on the line? I am. Hi, Anna. Do you have a question for us? Um, just, I would like to know what you see for me coming up in the next few months or what's going, what's going to go on in my life. Oh, okay. So where you need to go in your life? 
in the next few months. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. One of the things that I see you need to do, Anna, is you need to go in a very positive uh, state, okay? You need to uh, just kind of say, okay, I'm going to let this come to me. I'm going to let happen what I want to happen. And I see you wanting to do two things in particular. And what you need to do is you need to visualize those things happening, all right? See them in your mind and visualize them individually and just send it out there. Send out that picture out into the world and then let it come back to you. And it will come back to you. Okay? That That's what you need to do. And that's what I see you needing to do this next couple of months. All right? <laughs> okay, Anna. Thank you so much for calling in. Bye-bye. Well, it's time to take another short break. So... If you are on the line, do hold on, and we'll get right back to you. Welcome back to Annette Martin's Psychic World. We've been talking to our guest, Dr. Karen Good, who is a psychologist and author of 13 books. And today we've been talking about her newest book called Kids Who See Ghosts. And Karen, I wanted to ask you, you had put in a lot of skeptics' views and also a psychic's views in your book. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. Why did you include them? I included the skeptic's view and that to give parents the opportunity, if they don't believe in ghosts, to make it okay, he uses a very common sense approach, such as not to jump in. If the child says, I see a ghost, uh, you know, remain calm, check it out. And so his step-by-step common sense, I think, is helpful for individuals who don't believe in spirits, but he does give permission, as I ask parents to do, to believe their children and find out what's going on in their subjective world that is a part of their life that they need to know about. Mm-hmm. The psychics obviously are individuals who've grown up like you have, from children to adults. And I want parents to know if their children see ghosts and it's part of their world view and their gift, they're going to grow up okay. <laughs> There's not, you know, you don't have to worry about them. Right. All happy, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> that is for sure. And it, you, that is um, a, a statement I think that is very, very true, is that we are all extremely happy. So, you know, as a psychologist, why do you think that is? Because I think uh, we have a purpose and we have a passion. And when you follow the inner rhythm, the inner drive or dream that we have to be here and follow that purpose or mission, that to me is the joy of, of our existence. And I find that to be true for anyone that I've interviewed, even the skeptic. He's doing what he loves. 
He's doing mm-hmm. what his talent is, and he's uh-huh. a happy person, you know. And right. every time I ask parents, what do you want for your kids? It's always, I want them to be safe, I want them to be happy. Right. So if they see ghosts, they can be happy seeing ghosts. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It is okay for everybody out there. Really, it truly is. Now, we have a uh, Kay who's on the line, and she has a question for both of us. Hello, Kay. Hello, Annette. This is a great show. I'm really enjoying it. Um, we have a, a six-month-old grandson, and I have friends who have whose children, when their children were perhaps two or three years old, old enough to talk, intelligently have made comments about things like I remember you when I was in heaven with God and I picked you to be my mommy that sort of thing so our grandson I want to ask him when he's old enough to talk but I don't want to lead him I want to ask him and and questions about you know what things like who were you when you were big or something like that and I'm wondering if you have any advice on Asking our grandson when he's old, at what age we should start asking, we should ask him, I don't want to pastor him either, but how should we go about asking him about his previous lives? Karen, why don't you answer that? Sure, since I'm going through that experience with my three-and-a-half-year-old grandson, I'm dying to ask him where he was before. (laughs) My, My experience in their development is this. By eight, I would wait until they're three. The connection is at two, and they might be able to have images, but I'm not sure they could convey the depth of images unless you have the same ability, intuitive ability, to tune into their images, okay? The language development between three and four is uh, excellent, and they they can distinguish the here, there, and the now, here, and those kinds of uh, imaginal realms, if you will. And they're not inhibited yet by by preconceived notions. So I don't know, to be honest, how not to lead them because I think at that age you do lead them. And that's the whole joy of it, by asking, well, where were you before you became Calvin? Uh, you know, just how do you answer that? You can only answer that with spontaneity of knowing. So whatever they say you'll see their eyes roll back or look up and they'll be thinking about it they'll be retrieving the information and if my grandson doesn't know it you know he'll just look sad and say i don't know or i don't remember so i think it's pretty clear between three and four that it's safe and you get the most direct answers that you probably will get at what age do they lose the memory well Previously, between five and six years old, uh, well, it's a fact that between five and six years old, their brain literally goes through a pruning process. That's explained in the book, Kids Who See Ghosts. But my experience has been children who have a natural intuitive intelligence or temperament. I'm not saying intuition. We all have intuition. But think of children whose intuition is their talent or their gift. I find them not shutting down. I find them continuing to have that world view if it's open to them. So that's the good news. Their brain doesn't prune that aspect that seems to be part of their natural temperament. Is there time for me to ask one more question, Annette? Yes, absolutely. Go ahead. Okay. Our our grandson has cystic fibrosis. And Mm -hmm. so I'm wondering if, you know, things I've read about... 
that that often we come into this world to atone for things that we've done before or to resolve certain issues from karmic issues. So would it be, what are your thoughts about asking him about his cystic fibrosis? I wouldn't ask him questions about atonement. I would ask him questions okay. that are open-ended, like, why do you think you have that in this lifetime? Or do you think that your cystic fibrosis is related to another life you live sometime? I would ask relational questions, questions of association. That way they're non-judgmental. You know, you're not setting up a guilt scenario or that kind of thing with atonement or karma or any of that. And just let him explain what his memories are, you know? Are there memories of other lifetimes in there? That kind of thing? Do you, do you see where I'm going? Absolutely, yeah. I do. I get it. Yeah, okay. I, I totally agree uh, with Dr. Good. It, is that uh, you don't want to uh, mention about the physical ailment that they have because sometimes when people have a physical ailment, uh, they don't even want to go there. And so what you want to find out are the other things that are going on with them and what they're feeling. Yeah, and the ages of two to five are particularly sensitive times for self-worth and the development of esteem. So anything that triggers guilt or shame or that kind of stuff, I tend to ask parents that I work with just to avoid that, you know. So just have a, a general conversation, just like you would about anything else. Hey, can we put on your shoes? You ready to go to school? Good. When we're in the car, I'd like to know, you know, where else you think you've lived on Earth, that kind of thing. Oh, cool. I can't wait. I can't wait. All right. Well, Dr. Good, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening, and I appreciate it very much. Thank you, too, Annette. Thank you for calling in. Bye-bye. Well, Dr. Good, I want to ask you a question. Uh, you have a lot of other books uh, dealing with coaching and raising intuitive children. And where can folks find the books? Uh, all of the books are on Amazon.com, and all of the books are also... Uh, at kidswhoseeghosts.com. So they can find me by my name, which is C-A-R-O-N, Karen. And I'll also give my email if anyone has questions, C-A-R-O-N 30, Karen 30, at gmail.com. So the books are through bookstores on Amazon or, of course, on the websites. Wonderful. And we only have a few minutes left, so I'd like to ask you, do you have anything else that you would like to tell us to uh, help the parents? Let's talk about the parents a little bit. Uh, and what else can they do to help a child who feels that they have seen a ghost? Uh, I feel that parents uh, empower children in, in the way that they do for any situation. If they believe it's their child's gift, then find them help. You know, if your child needed a music lesson, you'd find a music teacher. So children that are growing up seeing spirits and communicating usually need a mentor to speak with, particularly as they get into their tweens and teen years. So obviously, you know, finding someone on the Internet, finding someone they can talk to. But listening, asking about their dreams, accepting them, without judgment or rushing them to a doctor. There's a lot of education parents can have uh, just from the websites that are very helpful, your website in particular, about how to negotiate these realms. That acceptance and love and connection go a long, long way to helping people feel comfortable with their own talents. 
Oh, absolutely. And we, like I say, we only have about a minute or so left here. And I do want to tell you about uh, an experience that I just had with ghosts and uh, with five children who were ghosts uh, it's an entire family that is cohabitating with a living family of six children and their mothers and father yeah and in fact we just showed the video that we had made Uh, we had done a uh, ghost investigation and i showed it on my tv internet show last night and it is just absolutely fascinating to see that the ghost children want to communicate with the live children and they're whispering in their ears, come on, let's go and play, you know, pss, 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 come, come, <laughs> come and play. And it is it. just precious. You will have to see this video. I'm sure that you would really love it. <laughs> it's, it's just amazing. And uh, the last words that I want to say, uh, you know, about ghosts is that we need to understand that these are consciousness that of people who were living and so don't be afraid of them and actually i'm more afraid of the people who are living than i am of the ghosts <laughs> yeah, amen to that <laughs> right so uh, dr good thank you so much for coming on today it's just been such a pleasure and hopefully we have learned a lot more things so thank you again and i hope that you will come back in the future Thank you, Annette. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. And for those of you who are new listeners, you might enjoy reading my biography called Gift of the White Light by James N. Fry. It's a bestseller on Amazon and BarnesandNoble.com. Gift of the White Light. It's filled with tales of ghosts, murder, and adventures galore, even with nine transcripts from actual murder cases. So check out my website at Annette-Martin.com. Well, next week, my guest will be Brad Steiger, one of my favorite people. Brad is the author and co-author of over 170 books. So I hope you will tune in for this fascinating show. Until next week, this has been Annette Martin's Psychic World, produced and broadcast by Zeus Radio Network for HearWomenTalk.com. May the white light be with you.